Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anyone here in person for the first time tonight against the stream? Welcome. Welcome, welcome to anybody who's joining us on Zoom for the first time. You can wave at us. Yeah, okay, a couple of people. Um, you guys point over here. They're, they're, they're over here. <laughs> they're, they're over here. I like to begin uh, class by asking you to uh, introducing a, a topic, sort of an icebreaker, for you to talk to each other in service of um, the core tenant of Buddhism, which is taking refuge in community, in, in what we call Sangha. That what the Buddha taught was, you know, here's this path to alleviate suffering in our own lives. And a central part of that is, is being involved in a community of supportive people, of like-minded uh, people to, to support us in this radical endeavor of um, waking up. I'm going to talk a lot tonight about the world and reality and, and acceptance. I'm going to talk, you know, kind of the core of what I'm going to talk about is acceptance. I ask you to reflect for a moment about um, what, what's, what are some of the difficult things for you to accept about reality? What do you find hard to accept? What do you find unacceptable, right? Like maybe we have a list of like, there's all this unacceptable shit going on in the world or in my life or in my mind or, and I know you're going to pretend like, oh, I'm so spiritual. I just accept everything. <laughs> Nothing is unacceptable. It's all divine, whatever. And maybe that's true for one of you. <laughs> but the rest of us um, can be honest enough to, to talk about, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about life that's hard to accept. I'm working on accepting it. There's a lot of stuff about the world that's hard to accept. Um, and I'll talk later about um, that acceptance doesn't mean that we're not trying to do something to change it. It's not complacency. That's just the way it is. So I'll um, offer some meditation instructions, but here's the simple truth that in meditation or any aspect of our lives, if you can uh, completely and totally accept yourself just as you are, accept this moment just as it is, you won't suffer about it at all. The definition of peace or contentment or happiness is being at ease with what's happening right now. Whatever your mind is doing, accepting it. Yeah, my mind's planning, it's remembering, it's judging, it's fearing, 
it's craving. My body's uncomfortable accepting. Yep, this is discomfort sitting here, anxious, restless, worried. Uh, so in your practice tonight, put some effort, some emphasis, uh, some intention around accepting everything that happens. I think sometimes we can come to meditation with an agenda and an idea that a good meditation is like this. I get real concentrated, my mind gets quiet, and then my heart just explodes into bliss. Or something, I, whatever it is for you, I feel. Uh, but a huge part of the Dharma, the Buddha's teachings, isn't just that you're gonna experience those peaceful moments, which you will if you meditate re regularly, you'll have more and more ease and well-being. But more importantly is that ability to accept the afflictive states, the uh, difficulties, the pains, the uh, fears, the doubts, to accept the experience that's happening without fighting with it, without judging it, without uh, craving for it to be different than it is. There's that very simple uh, acceptance meditation phrase that, uh, Lung Poor Samedo says, he's a, a Buddhist monk in the Thai forest tradition. He says, just remind yourself over and over, right now, it's like this. Hard to argue with. <laughs> Whatever's happening right now, it's like this. This moment is like this. And it's painful or it's pleasant or it's exciting or it's boring or, you know, but it's just, this is the way it is right now. Can I accept it as it is? And maybe the humble answer is most of the time, the answer is no, I can't, it feels unacceptable and I'm struggling with it. And that's why I'm suffering. That is the cause of my suffering is my lack of understanding and accepting and, and learning to respond wisely to what's happening. So in your practice tonight, just put more emphasis on accepting your mind, your body, your experience, just as it is. Finding a way to be that's upright, relaxed. Establishing a posture that feels sustainable. Hopefully at least comfortable to begin with, although we know sitting still generally becomes uncomfortable eventually. Taking a moment to release any unnecessary tension, relax any tightness in the belly or shoulders or jaw. Tension can be seen as resistance. Stop resisting. the body be relaxed in the upright posture.
Let the flesh of your physical form hang loosely around your skeleton. Skeleton upright. Let the rest of it just drape around the skeleton. And establishing this intention to be accepting, radical acceptance of our experience just as it is. Well, we bring mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness to the present time experience, the sensations in the heart and mind, in the body. It can be useful to direct your attention to the sensations the breath creates but you don't have to start there. Present time awareness is inclusive. Your whole being, all of the emotions, all of the thoughts. In this kind of practice, there's no such thing as a distraction. You cannot be distracted from what's happening right now, because it's all happening right now. Even the thoughts about the future arising here in the present. most it's useful to choose an aspect of your experience to connect and sustain awareness like the breath or the posture or perhaps hearing breathing in know that you're breathing in sitting know that you're sitting Tuning into the high-pitched ringing that the ears produce. Just listening, receiving, mindful of sound, the tone of silence.
You can return to the breath, the posture, the sound. Just remind yourself, whatever awareness is receiving, right now it's like this. Thoughts arising and passing. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant.
right now it's like this what's happening what are you paying attention to in your body your heart your mind non-judgmental present time awareness accepting this moment just as it is as much as you can When the body becomes uncomfortable, there can be a almost instant aversion, resistance, tightening. Try to soften into discomfort. Perhaps breathing into it. Tolerance and mercy and compassion towards our own pain whether it's physical or emotional. The more we pay attention in this way, the more we see that what we're accepting is that everything's impermanent. Every sensation that we're trying to meet with kind acceptance is changing. Every emotion, every thought, moods, evolving, arising, and passing.
learning to respond wisely to the way it is. Letting go of anything we're clinging to, accepting impermanence. Learning to respond to pain with friendliness, with mercy and compassion. Letting go of resisting, judging, fearing pain.
taking the last couple of minutes to turn towards the practice of loving kindness. The Buddha's instructions were quite simple, acknowledging that all living beings wish to be at ease, extending love and kindness in all directions. And saying in our heart, may all beings be at ease. And including oneself as part of the all the interconnected existence, reality. At the end of class last week, there was a question about um, why we suffer, why we find it so difficult um, when other people are suffering. Um, that I think pretty common natural feeling of um, wanting other people to not be having difficulties or at least when you love, when you care, when you. And I was reflecting, I think I reflected back last week and I've been reflecting a bit in some different conversations and experiences I've had this week around um, Why is it that it's so common, like that, uh, that we humans um, think there shouldn't be suffering or that people shouldn't be suffering? I mean, don't you have a general kind of feeling that like, well, people shouldn't be suffering. People shouldn't, you know, especially the people that I care about, people I don't know about, whatever, but the people I care about <laughs> shouldn't should be happy. I want, I want them to be happy. I want them to. And we can um, sometimes start practicing Buddhism or maybe even just naturally 
uh, have some compassion and have some desire to be of service and help and create a positive change and and feeling a bit confused around like well why why don't people act right <laughs> why why are people so confused on this planet i want to reflect a little bit on uh on some level, we could we could frame this. You know, the Buddha said, "Here's the path to end suffering: the four noble truths, the truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the truth that it's possible to get free, and maybe that's the you know important, <laughs> the most important thing to always come back to. The third noble truth of the Buddha is that we human beings actually have the power." the potential, the ability to free ourselves from suffering based on our own efforts in this lifetime. This is the core teaching of Siddhartha Gautama of the Buddha. It is possible through your own efforts in this lifetime to no longer suffer about what's happening in this world, to no longer suffer about your relationship to pleasure or pain or the human mind's self-centered tendency. He said, in order to, to get to awakening, nirvana, freedom, he said that there's this eightfold path. The first factor of the eightfold path is understanding the way it is. Seeing clearly, understanding. Now, I don't know about y'all, but certainly when I started practicing Buddhism, I, had, I didn't understand what was happening here. I had a whole bunch of um, ignorant conditioning, you know, learned ignorance from growing up in this culture, from uh, you know, religious, you know, societal uh, conditioning. I, I didn't understand that everything that was happening here was based on the causes and conditions that preceded it. I didn't understand karma. Part of understanding is understanding that everything, that we're all fully responsible for our own happiness. I was pretty convinced that I was unhappy because of everyone else. I was unhappy because of society, the system, the cops. I was unhappy because I was locked up, not because of how I was relating to being locked up. It was <laughs> definitely what was happening, not about my response. It was, does that make sense? My I didn't understand the amount of influence that I could have over my reactions, over, over how I respond to what's happening. I just thought it's painful, you hate it. It's pleasurable, try to smoke it. <laughs> so the first factor of the eightfold path is is understanding reality as it is and you know there's the internal reality and you can get an intellectual uh, knowledge 
of that pretty easily. You read a couple of Buddhist books, you listen to a couple of Dharma talks, and um, you know, there's three core things that are happening uh, that we're pretty ignorant of, that we don't tend to understand, or even once we get the knowledge, we don't tend to live in harmony with. And it's what I said in the meditation, everything's impermanent. You know that, right? You all know. <laughs> you all know that everything is impermanent. But why do you keep clinging? <laughs> you know it's impermanent. Why get attached? Why haven't you stopped yet? I'm not trying to, you know, no judgment. I'll put myself, why haven't we stopped? We know everything's impermanent, right? Like we read that book years ago. You heard that talk years ago and it made sense. You're like, yeah, everything's impermanent, but we still get attached to impermanent things, people, places, relationships, sensations, emotions, experiences, uh, clinging. Understanding theoretically that everything's impermanent doesn't help us just say, it's not a decision that we can make. Okay, I'm going to stop clinging now. I'll just... I'll let go. It's a meditative skill that gets developed over years of meditation, acceptance, letting go, seeing clearly, and really deeply. And that's the, the, is this word insight and uh, wisdom, not a knowledge of impermanence, but a wise relationship to the truth of impermanence. So, anyways, understand, you know, it's not actually what I want to talk about tonight, but it's part of it understanding that everything's impermanent, understanding that because everything's impermanent, there is no reliable external refuge. There's no experience, there's no external, there's no experience that we can have that will be a reliable source of contentment. Because whatever it is, it's impermanent. Whatever experience it is, is impermanent. Short of enlightenment, there is no experiences that will be satisfactory for all that long. Some last longer than others. None of them last forever. And then the, the third and maybe most confusing aspect um, is that there uh, it's it's maybe the simplest way to put it is that it's not personal, this human condition, even, even the fact that everything that I just said, that we cling as human beings, we get attached, we crave for pleasure, we hate pain. We, uh, even if we understand everything's impermanent, we still cling. That clinging is not your fault, is not personal. It's part of the human condition. This universal, we're born into this body that craves pleasure and clings, gets attached. It's not you. It's just part of the human condition. And without awareness, without examination, without seeing it clearly, it just plays out all by itself in attachment and aversion and self-centeredness. But the more we turn our awareness, our mindfulness towards our minds. And we see like, whoa, this fucking thing thinks all by itself. Plans and judges and compares. And this self-centeredness that I thought was me 
is actually completely impersonal. It's just what the human brain does. It's not self. It's not personal. It's not your fault that you're a self-centered, attached person. You know, I wanted to say piece of shit, but I <laughs> held it back because not a piece of shit. It's the impersonal truth, nature of uh, human existence. Which makes it really um, difficult for, you know, the first noble truth constantly coming into play, the suffering that we experience. Makes it really difficult to live in this world where there's so much um, sorrow, so much death, so much oppression, so much ignorance. Makes it really hard to accept living with this mind that craves for permanence and pleasure not only for ourselves, but for each other too. Like I want you also to be happy and safe and treated with respect and love. And then we live in this world where it's not what's happening here. And how often do we catch ourselves like offended by reality? Like every day, I catch myself almost every day, especially if I look at social media or turn on any type of news or pay attention in any way to the world, I find myself a bit offended by what's happening here. This shit, this systematic racism, this systematic sexism, this greed, hatred, delusion, this is what's happening here. Hard to accept. It, it, it is what's happening here. And um, not just in our country, but all over the whole planet. It's easy to get real focused on American politics and American racism and American sexism and American, because it's gross. <laughs> it's gross here. But it's also universal, just like the human condition of self-centeredness, not that personal. The human condition of greed and hatred and delusion manifests in every single culture on this planet. It's not Americans, it's humans. Americans are, you know, have a special history of being fucked. <laughs> but you can go back into just about every history and find systematic greed and hatred and oppression. Hard to find a culture that hasn't manifested as racist and sexist and homophobic and base ignorant, let's just call it ignorance. Hard to find a culture. I think impossible. I don't know, maybe some so sociologist in the crowd would be like, well, in ancient uh, Mesopotamia, <laughs> there was a goddess culture for, and it's probably, there are 
periods there, you know, maybe there are pockets and periods in history where there have been less oppression, less ignorance. Part of where I'm going with this is that I believe it's part of our practice to uh, accept, see clearly and accept the world as it is. The world, it, it, right now, it's like this. The world is like this. Now, in no way does acceptance to me mean complacency. Sometimes when you use the term acceptance, it feels like, well, don't do anything. Just accept it and don't do anything about it. That's not what the, I mean, certainly not what the Buddha was encouraging. He was encouraging a see clearly what's happening in you and around you. See the uh, truth of impermanence inside. See the truth of impermanence outside. See the greed and hatred in your own mind. See the greed and hatred in the world, both internal and external. And then do something about it. You know, that phrase I was using in the meditation and Lumpur Samedo, Ajahn Samedo. Right now it's like this, but it has to be dot, dot, dot. It's not period. Like right now it's like this and just don't do shit about it. <laughs> right now it's like this, which means it's calling for you know, and if, if what's happening right now is, is pleasure, it's calling for non-attached appreciation. If the people uh, around you uh, are experiencing happiness and success, it's calling for appreciative joy. Right now, it's like this. It's my practice to appreciate you when you're happy, when you're successful, when you're uh, doing well. To, to empathize, to, to meet your happiness with appreciation. To meet my own pleasure with non-attached appreciation. Oh, it's, right now, it's so pleasant. Impermanently arising and passing through awareness. Non-attached appreciation. Right now, it's like this, and it's calling for appreciation. Right now, it's really painful. Right now, it's like this, and it's annoying or it's difficult or it feels unbearable. It feels brutal sometimes. Calling for compassion, calling for maybe forgiveness of what's happening, um, some level of mercy, some level of tolerance when it's painful. Right now it's, so we don't, in no way is mindfulness or Buddhism saying, uh, right now it's like, this, it's painful, just fucking bear it. <laughs> it's saying right now, it's pain, if it, when it's painful, when we live in this world with so much pain, we have to learn to respond with compassion. And I said it last week, and I'll say it over and over because, and I think this is radical and maybe defined differently in different Buddhist cultures or, or traditions, um, the Theravadan Buddhist understanding of compassion is that there is zero attachment to the pain going away. There's understanding that the pain is impermanent, 
But in true compassion, there is no uh, needing for it to be absent. There is no uh, feeling of it shouldn't be this way. There, that, that right now it's like this and I care about it. And I also totally accept that it's really painful in here or out there with care, with warmth, with uh, without clinging, without that ignorant idea that um, it shouldn't be this way. Now, I even saying that, I have a hard time saying it because the truth is most of the time I'm walking around in my life feeling like it shouldn't be this way. <laughs> it really, you know, like I, I get the Dharma. I have a, a knowledge of it. There was one time I remember when I was um, on a retreat years and years ago, I was on this retreat and I heard one of the Dharma teachers say, from a Buddhist perspective and from the understanding of equanimity and karma and rebirth and causes and conditions, she said, um, we live in a just and lawful universe and everything is just as it should be right now. And I can remember feeling like no fucking possibility that's true. How could that be true? From my deluded perspective, I look at the world and I feel like, no way it's just and lawful. There's all this injustice. That's what I see. I see the injustice. I see the ignorance. Uh, but they're talking about, she was talking about, the Dharma is talking about this much bigger perspective than what we see. They're talking about the causes and conditions of multiple lifetimes of the cycle of rebirth and karma that goes on from lifetime to lifetime. And when we just look at what's happening here and now, we feel like, no fucking way. <laughs> but if rebirth is what's happening, And we've been at this thing for eons. All of us, all living beings, have been kind of in this cycle of wandering through samsara from lifetime to lifetime. There's one place in the suttas that I'm aware of uh, assigned to the Buddha where he says something like, by the time you find the Dharma, You've already grieved so much from all of the death you've experienced, all of the loss you've experienced, all of the sorrow you've experienced, that you're, you know, your tears from lifetime after lifetime of grieving and crying and is like, you know, like the water and the oceans. You've cried an ocean by the time you find yourself here approaching the Dharma and trying to liberate yourself from suffering and from this cycle of rebirth. And by the time you take this birth, when you've come into this one that we're having now, you've bled you know, through violence, through murder, through wars, as much blood as you know, or in the rivers or something like that, these analogies of 
this really much bigger picture that says we've been at this for a long time. It's not just this lifetime. It's a cycle that's being perpetuated. And if we look at, you know, just a glance at history and the history of violence and oppression and human self-centeredness and um, very few people getting liberated in each generation, this cycle will just continue. More oppression, more violence, more ignorance. And it doesn't totally work this way, but on some level, to, for me to understand it, I have to simplify it. I got to keep this shit simple. And it's hard to talk about without kind of victim blaming or that kind of stuff. But in some ways, uh, if you're uh, acting as an oppressor in any way in this lifetime, that your rebirth would be into a, a situation of oppression. And that if you're in a situation of oppression in this lifetime and you are able to meet it with some wisdom and some compassion and some, um, that you'd free yourself from that cycle. Doesn't, totally, you know, it's too simplified, but it's part of it in, in Buddhism, it is talked about like that. You know, that the rebirth that we take is based on the causes and conditions of our own previous actions. I was um, looking up earlier current world statistics, this world that we live in. Uh, we're at uh, 8 billion um, and almost 20 million, 8.2, I guess that is. Um, there's 21 billion births so far this year. There's uh, 315,000 births today, each day, 300,000 people. Um, 10, 10, 8 billion, uh, 10 million people have died so far this year. Uh, almost 160 people, 160,000 people died today. One of the reasons, you know, kind of pulling back sickness, aging, death. When somebody you know dies, it can feel so devastating. Our love and our attachment and the healthy grief that goes along with that. Sometimes I like to pull back and be like, 160,000 people die today? I didn't know any of them, I don't think. <laughs> but when I do know one of them, it, I feel it, right? And I, you know, when we do know one of those people that dies, it, it affects us. There's a bunch of stuff about government and economics. There's a bunch of stuff about how many cell phones were sold today. <laughs> Six million. <laughs> this part around, and this is the acceptance piece, the reality we live on this planet right now, where um, 800, I'm going to round some of these numbers off, 800,000 um, square uh, hectares of forest has been lost so far this year. 
and I'm not sure if this is 23 or they're talking about the probably the last 12 months when they say this year, probably 12 months, I'm not sure. Land lost to soil erosion this year, um, over a million. Um, desertification this year, hectares, uh, almost 2 million hectares. I don't know, what's a hectare and an acre? 100 acres? Hectare? A whole fucking bunch. Toxic chemicals released in the environment this year, 1.5 million tons. Uh, and then there's this stuff around uh, the suffering of people around food. On the planet right now, there is um, almost, it's 867, almost 868 million undernourished people. Almost a billion, 860. 8 million people are undernourished. There are um, over almost 2 billion people that are considered overweight on the planet. So uh, there's 1 billion people who are undernourished, starving, uh, almost twice as many people who are overnourished. Almost a billion people are considered obese. 26,000 people died of starvation today and every day on this planet. 26,000 people die of starvation every day. Then there's stuff about how much money we spend on obesity-related diseases, money spent on weight loss programs. There's uh, 133 thousand hundred thousand deaths caused by water related diseases there's almost a billion people with no access to safe drinking water two million communicable disease deaths 80 million seasonal flu deaths um 1.2 billion, no, one point, I think it's, no, 1.2 million um, deaths of children under five this year. 48,000 deaths of mothers during birth. 44, 44, is that right? 44 million? HIV and AIDS infected people on the planet. Almost 300,000 deaths caused by HIV AIDS. 1.3 million deaths caused by cancer. 13 billion cigarettes smoked today. 400,000 deaths caused by alcohol this year. 170,000 suicides this year. 63, I think this is billion, spent on illegal drugs this year. I mean, just... <laughs> I find it interesting to get that bigger perspective on this planet that we live in where children are starving to death. And, and, you know, and really turn towards that and breathe it in and feel it and, and watch what your mind does with it as you bring mindfulness to 
to it and if is there guilt is there guilt for your privilege for your uh, you know abundance as a, a american or um is there acceptance wow it's like this i'm taking this birth i'm having this life complaining about it all the time <laughs> And I don't personally, I, I don't think that it's wise for us to go too far into guilt or shame or, uh, or, or unworthiness of feeling like, well, how can I be happy because of what's happening on this planet? Uh, the Buddhist perspective is see what's happening on this planet clearly, respond as wisely with as much compassion, as much generosity, as much wisdom as you can commit to making a positive change in whatever ways we can from the inside out there's a lot of people doing a lot of really good things for the environment or maybe to, to feed hungry people or to get that clean water to where it needs to go and you know like really committed to socially engaged issues the environment you know like so many things there's a lot of people um, that are really angry and miserable while trying to create a positive change. What I personally want to be, am committed to and wanna do, and I, and I believe is in line with what the Buddha is encouraging is from the inside, find a sense of ease and well-being and happiness and the compassion, the natural compassion that cares, that sees clearly, that doesn't, it's not in denial or, guilt or shame about what's happening, sees clearly and commits to creating a positive change, using our life's energy to be of service in you know, local ways and, and hopefully in, in greater ways. We can, uh, depending on where you are kind of financially, I know sometimes when I talk about this stuff, some of the more uh, successful or wealthy people um, might have some feelings of, am I doing enough? Or I'm always reminded of this time in the Buddha's life where one of his main supporters, who was a very wealthy business person, came to him and he said, look, you have you know, renounced all material things and, 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 and you live this life of constant service and you're such a blessing, teaching us about mindfulness, teaching us about compassion, teaching us this eightfold path to end our suffering. And uh, he says to the Buddha, I'm so busy with all of these responsibilities, making money. He's like, I do give a lot of the money to the Sangha. I want to support it. But um, I will, do I need to give up my, my money and my responsibilities in order to be a, a true blessing to people? Is, is my business, is, my, uh, is it causing me to suffer, to, to not be free? And the Buddha says something, I'm paraphrasing my memory, but uh, says something to him like, uh, it's not money and power that are ever the problem. It's really easy to think like, oh, power, like social studies, third grade, power corrupts, <laughs> right? Because of our human tendency towards clinging and craving and, you know, power can be a corrupting force. But the Buddha's 
enlightened wisdom says, it's not power, it's not money, it's attachment. He said, if you can train your heart and mind to not be too attached, there's something in there that says something like, if you're going to cling to your wealth or your power, better to discard it, throw it away, than to let it poison your heart. But then actually, you don't have to discard it. You can free your heart from clinging, and you will be a blessing to people. You'll be able to use your resources to be supportive, to be encouraging, to, to help feed, to help support, to help people who don't have the resources. It's not money, it's not power, it's clinging, it's craving. And what we're doing in our mindfulness-based intervention in Buddhism is freeing ourselves from the internal sources of suffering. It's not about what's happening. It's not about the pain. It's about how we're responding to the pain. It's not about the truth that pleasure is impermanent. It's about our clinging. And we can free ourselves from clinging, from craving. And it's what we're doing. And, you know, we all Probably if you've been around here for a little while, you realize it's a slow process. It's a gradual awakening. It's, it's not a quick fix. That's a path that we walk together. And, we, and as we started, we walk in community. And so important to have all of these people that, like you, are on the same page. I want to accept the world as it is. I want to create a positive change in this world, seeing it clearly. I want to use my time and my energy, my resources to free my own mind from ignorance and i want to be a blessing to people as much as i can i'll end with this and then open to any questions or comments i see there's a hand on online but um as I say all of this and look at my own mind around it, uh, the, the quality of humility is so, I think, important. Of humility around uh, our own imperfection and our own um, you know, desire to be free and not being free. And knowing that compassion and generosity is always the right thing and that non-attachment is always the right thing, and not believing our self-centered mind is always the right thing. But we can't quite do it, that humility of, I, I really want to be free. I'm on this path towards freedom. But the truth is, I still uh, walk around looking at this world going like, it can't be right. <laughs> this can't be a just and lawful universe. How could it be? even though I kind of have some faith, some confidence that the Buddha wasn't lying. But it doesn't look that way from my unenlightened eyes. So I'm going to keep practicing until I can see it that clearly. I'm not getting too stuck in our views and opinions our views and opinions of like, well, that's just couldn't be true. Or I meet people all of the time that just uh, blatantly disregard any possibility of reincarnation. 
like, I really like Buddhism except for reincarnation. There's no way that's true. And I'm like, you decided that because you trust your mind? <laughs> you know, because it doesn't fit with the, your, you know, scientific uh, understanding. So I think, you know, like having some humility and some openness and some uh, skepticism of our own views and opinions about this stuff. So questions, comments, Megan, did you have your hand up? You want to ask a question? online you can yeah, yeah. yes Go please ahead. thank you yeah. my question is and this has been a topic on my mind a lot lately um what are the buddha's beliefs about the concept of redemption from what i'm hearing it sounds like there's some clinging and some attachment to you know your your karmic retribution or or also the opinions and beliefs of others about you and um, I would just love if you could speak to that a little bit. Um, the karma is ours. Uh, in, the, you know, in one place, the, the Buddha says, remind yourself every day that you're subject to sickness, old age, death, loss, and that your karma is your only true possession. That's the only thing you really own. Everything else is borrowed temporarily, but your karma, that's your, you own it. At the same time, and I started with this earlier, um, the Buddha was clear and consistent in his teaching that no matter how bad your karma is, whatever you've done in this life or past lives, you can purify it completely to the point of liberation in this lifetime. And there's lots of examples in the Buddha's life. One of this serial killer, this guy, Angulimala, who'd murdered like a hundred people in his lifetime and was able to purify his karma and come to awakening in that lifetime, become an arahant in one lifetime, even after terrible confusion, murder, ignorance. And it's, I don't know if that's true or it's just the archetype that no matter what, we have the ability to get free in this lifetime if we're willing to do the hard work of karmic purification, of behaving in positive ways and refraining from causing harm to ourselves or others and the negative karma producing actions. So I hope that's helpful. Anything in the room, please? Yeah. Thank you, Noah. I have a question regarding <clears throat> something you had said about how we should learn to, to confront each other better. Do you recall you had said that months ago and you said you were going to speak on this <clears throat> because it was exactly on, on this that was in my mind. And I, I thought, you know, there is a place for confrontation. So thanks. I did say that. I say it a lot. Um, and I believe it, that it's important for us as Buddhists, as people, as um, to find ways to engage in conflict and to not have any with each other, with the world, with, to engage and to not have, uh, I think it's very dangerous. There is a danger um, of becoming avoidant and using our spiritual practices to bypass uh, conflict 
rather than actually saying like, we really need to have this conversation, even though it's gonna be unpleasant. And we have our right speech guidelines. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it the appropriate time for us to have this difficult conversation, conflict, whatever it is? Uh, am I coming from a place of kindness and compassion? Maybe sometimes there's that humility of like, nope, I'm angry, but we're still going to talk about it. It's not all compassion over here, but we're going to stay, you know. Uh, and I talked about humility at the end of tonight. I think we need to personally, not, I think there's a lot of Buddhists that would give you different advice. My advice is um, that we also have to be willing to be a little bit messy and not wait to like, well, I can't have that conversation with you because I don't have it all put together yet. That willingness to say, I'm going to show up with my good intentions. I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to be honest. I'm going to try to be patient. And also I might be a little messy in it. Might tell you to go fuck yourself, but I'll make amends later. <laughs> you know, trying not to, but showing up with an intention of, of I just feel like so important for us to learn to be in conflict and in this communities where uh, we're not just avoiding the issues, we're actually talking to each other about it. So much, so much gossip happens. So much talking about each other rather than to each other. I hear so many interesting things about me from other people that haven't talked to me about it ever. And that like, very, like, let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation. Maybe there'll be conflict, but let's, let's communicate directly about everything. If, you know, if we have that kind of relationship, not everybody's open to it. I, uh, maybe part of my, my role or in my life, or I just feel totally open to like, let's have direct conversation with everybody. One of the most difficult things is when people just uh, shut it down. And then you have to do that internal, you know, kind of forgiveness and compassion and understanding. But I like having that communication when we can. I don't have a, any kind of clear guidance of how to have healthy conflict no i think you said it i mean we have the right we have the guidelines we know yeah. how to do it yeah and thank you i think it's important yeah. maybe last one here yeah. so actually really relevant what you just said um i have a question slash um, i have a question regarding the cursing i actually have a really hard time with it um and it's something i'm not from here but I, it's very like popular in american culture and in general, I feel cursing much more than others. Mm -hmm. But I also want to ask, like in regards to um, right speech, because I have to say, like that for me, immediately when you start cursing, even if, if you're not cursing anyone, but still, you know, it like I I'm like I'm out. I'm, right. like, I'm out of the whole. Like it pulls me completely. Really, it, it, there's like a negative ripple. Sure. And I, I am, and yeah, and I wonder how does that. Like how, like, I wonder, like, I, I don't, yeah, I, I, so I wanted to tell you first of all, yeah. um, thank you first of all, for having this, yeah. but also, yeah, how does that work out, or how does, yeah, happy to, happy to address it. Um, I have a similar experience when, like, I go to a lot of recovery things, and when people talk about God, I have this, like, oh gross 
you're talking, that's like, ooh, people are, you know. And what I do is I try to feel my, the feeling tone. I try to be mindful of like, ooh, when people talk about what I see as confusion and ignorance around religion and stuff, I have this sort of visceral, ooh, I, I can't trust this person or, you know, something like happens for me, um, a judgment, right? And so I try to relate to, you know, when people are saying or doing things uh, like that of kind of taking full responsibility for how am I reacting? And then also investigating what's the conditioning, you know, especially around language. And language is so interesting. And even, you know, the Buddhist right speech, because how much of it is just societal conditioning, right? Like whatever conditioning you had around like, curse words are inappropriate, they're bad, they're, you know, did this come from Christianity? Did this come from Buddhism? What societal or religious conditioning said those words are naughty? <laughs> those words are offensive, right? Because it's not something you were born with. You were taught that. We were all taught that on some level or another. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely grew up in a, a home where kind of cursing was normal and fine and, and, you know, my children curse and I laugh, you know, I think it's hilarious, uh, you know, and, and, you know, often it's like, you know, my son will be like, hey, good morning, go fuck yourself. And I'm just like, love you, dude. Like, you're the best. Have a good day at school. Leave the switchblade at home. Um, true story <laughs> right speech there is a place in traditional buddhism uh where it says harsh language it says so i don't think it, there's nowhere it says swearing but it says avoid your harsh language or you know that's that's kind of any sort of malicious language that's used to cause harm and often you know a word like fuck is used as a sword to like at someone or it's in our culture and certainly in my subculture it's mostly just used as an exclamation point not really as a, a harsh but just as a um a lazy exclamation point i've had this conversation with i've been teaching for almost 25 years so i've had this conversation a lot of times i've been teaching at big meditation centers and gotten the letters that the people send to the teachers and be like well but he swore a lot could you ask him to stop swearing? Um, and it's, I have a little bit of an internal dilemma with it because I do feel like I want everyone to feel heard and seen and comfortable on some level or another. Uh, welcome, I want everyone to feel welcome. I've heard even more often from people who said, um, it was my swearing and my attitude that actually made them trust the Dharma. And that if they had showed up to somewhere where somebody was acting a little too spiritual, they probably wouldn't have kept coming back. And uh, so I've, I've heard that even more than, you know, so I kind of just land on that. There's a place in the, uh, one of my favorite teachings from the Buddha where he says, you know, if we do this work, we'll get in, liberated and we will be a refuge for all living beings. And 
my own feeling of that is like, I'm never going to be a refuge for all living beings. And I'm so glad there's so many Dharma teachers out there. And like, if you're interested in the Dharma, you'll find a teacher that you resonate with. A lot of the people that resonate with me, uh, I think it's partially because of my irreverence and my foul language. And, you know, I know that's true. I see some heads nodding. Some don't care for it that much. Um, but tend to come back anyways and just tolerate me. And maybe like where I started the conversation of just use my swearing as their own practice. <laughs> and I don't know you and it was your first time here tonight, but I, I will come back to that first thing of what a cool practice for us to show up and, and watch our own reactions. Well, that's probably from myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm really asking as, uh, as someone who's also practicing for a long time. And this is, again, this is something that this culture has brought uh, for the first time for me. So, so I'm, I'm really asking from a curious, yeah, yeah, yeah. From an, from yeah. As, as an open place as possible. No, I can hear it though. But, but that's not like, it's not like, it's not the main thing at all. I'm, I'm really like trying to, uh, um, as my assumption is that you're like say, I, I know you're a teacher for a long time, blah blah blah. That you know your material. It's not, you know. So I'm, I'm really trying to understand. Um, there was a time. Um, here's one of my other kind of justifications for my foul language. Um, there's there's a time where the Buddha says, you know, when you go and you meet new people and you're teaching this, and he was, um, he said, speak in the language of the people that you come into contact with. Don't keep it in Pali or Tibetan or Japanese, translate it and speak, you know, so really he meant English, but, um, you know, like for us, like, he's like, don't stick with all the poly terms, like speak it in, in the language of the people you're speaking to. Um, but most of the people that I talk to speak curse words. It's part of our, it's our idiom. It's part of our language. And so that's for me, that's part of why I, you know, kind of stay with that. Also, it feels authentic. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I'm not putting on a, I'm not swearing as a shtick. Uh, I'm swearing just because that's how I talk all of the time. And I'm just being, trying to be authentic. Sorry that I went over a bit with that explanation, but thanks for the question. We'll leave it there for tonight. Um, classes done by donation. I just um, realized I was a little bit behind the eight ball, but I just realized that I had to renew. We've now been in this building for five years and we only had a five-year lease and it's over. But we're not, we're not getting kicked out, but I have to sign a new five-year lease and the rent's going up $1,000 a month. Of course it is. And 3% every year, you know, this is how it goes. So um, there are expenses are rising. Uh, however you can help, however much you can afford to help. Uh, I've been doing this class by donation for the whole time. We'll continue to do it by donation. If you don't have any money, you're welcome to be here. If you have money and some abundance and can be a blessing to the people who don't and to, to support the, the center, please be as generous as you can. Uh, if you can afford $25 for the drop-in group, great. If you can become a monthly supporter, uh, many of you are, some of you are, 
uh, at home, if you can, you know, consider saying, I want to donate this month, every month to Against the Stream, just so that we can pay the bills around here. Deeply appreciated. Thank you in advance for your generosity. Sebastian, Tara's not here tonight. If you could sit at the desk, if you want to. Um, the best way to donate is through the Venmo or the PayPal. I don't think we have the card reader working tonight, but we're working on getting it set up better. Or cash is fine. We have uh, a day long on April 16th, uh, 9 to 4 p.m., a day of sitting and walking meditation practice that I'll be teaching. It's here. It's open for registration. You can do it both on Zoom or in person. I will be here in person doing the sitting, the walking, but it'll be open for people at other places to do that day from home on Zoom. And then in May, we have a three-day silent retreat up in uh, Big Bear area, um, re residential retreat that's also open for registration, three-day retreat in May. Any more thoughts on Thailand? I think Thailand's going to happen in November. I'm just trying to figure out how much it's going to cost to get the bus and the hotels and some of the stuff. Um, the monastery said we could come there for a couple of days and I have a retreat center for a few days. So we're going to do some retreats, some visiting the monastery and some, you know, eating crickets in uh, Bangkok you know the full pilgrimage just kidding you don't have you don't have to eat crickets um great to see everybody may any merit that comes from our practice be offered outward in all directions may each of us get as free as possible and together may we create a positive change on this planet Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.